What's happening, financial coaches? Pete here. Hope you're doing well. Wanted to come to you with another video, and I wanted to talk about what my sessions are for. And I kind of identified that basically when people come into a coaching session with me, when clients, participants uh, come into a coaching session and they want to sit down, there are really only five things that I'm trying to do in that session, really. I mean, and the session is going to be usually one of five things. Now, I'm oversimplifying a little bit because anything can happen within the session and sometimes we'll pivot and sometimes we'll have to wear different hats and all that type of stuff. But really there are five key reasons for that session. So I'm going to just quickly go through those five things because I think that will help identify the mindset that I think you need to be in and that the mindset that we're trying to craft for that participant right now. Again, sometimes they can go all over the place. Sometimes we can have one key thing, but some ancillary things. I don't want to get too much into the weeds and the hypotheticals, but I just want to kind of talk about generally why people connect with us. So first of all, it's figuring out the problem. I, honestly, now you may be like, all right, is this what this list is going to be about? Listen, I think that some of these are going to be so obvious. You're going to hear them and you're going to be like, okay, that makes total sense. But they are kind of distinctly different. And that's why I bring them up in a compartmentalizing difference. So number one, it's figuring out the problem. So a lot of times people will come in, they will realize something's wrong. They will realize their budget isn't working. They will realize something feels amiss. They will they will uh, realize they are doing the things that they've been told to do, but sometimes it's still uncomfortable for them. So whatever it might be, sometimes things will just be a mess and it's going to be very clear that they need help. But figuring out the problem, figuring out the diagnosis is sometimes what we do. You know, for us in the health world, right, if you aren't feeling well, it's not so much that you don't know that there's a problem. It's that you don't know what the uh, diagnosis is. And that's really what they're coming to us for. Because once we have that diagnosis, now things start to, to make more sense, right? Now things, you know, uh, make sense of why we should avoid cucumbers or gluten or whatever it might be, you know, but you can't really uh, intellectually and, uh, and, and uh, strategically avoid those things or not avoid things or do more of certain things until you know what kind of that root cause is. And so, you know, some people will call it root cause analysis, RCA, those types of things. But a lot of times we're trying to figure out the problem with the participant. And a lot of times it might be obvious to us and we have to kind of open up the, um, the, the pipe to have the, the participants figure that out. Um, sometimes it won't be obvious to us. Sometimes the, the participants will diagnose that on their own after we uncover it because you know they have backstory and values and history that, that we don't know about. So figuring out the problem, that's number one. You know, For example, on this, it might be they have an overspending problem, right? They know at the end of the month they're upside down, they don't have enough money, and the problem might be overspending. It might be other things. You know, that Overspending is not the only reason that someone might be upside down that month. It could be a huge medical bill. It could be the fact that they lost uh, income and, and hours of work, whatever might be but you know figuring that out that's number one now figuring out the solution is number two and i say that because sometimes we can spend the whole hour or the whole session or or multiple sessions just trying to figure out what the problem is get to that root cause and now once we have that what's the solution right once you have that medical diagnosis what are you going to do with it are you just going to ignore it or are you going to do something change the lifestyle uh, avoid uh, the certain foods that are causing you ill whatever it might be right so um, once we have that problem, now we got to figure out the solution, right? So now if we figure out the problem is overspending, what are we going to do about it? And that's where we're going to talk about it. So two is figure out the solution. Now, the solution leads to a variety of different things, in my opinion. And one is what I call the how-tos of the solution. And this is really the key piece, because I think this is where most practitioners in our space miss out, if that makes sense. Because I think generally what we do, whether you're a financial coach or counselor, advisor, or uh, mentor, or guide, or whatever you want to call yourself, it's often um, 
the reality that we have the answer in an intellectual sense, in a high level sense, in a strategic sense, but we don't necessarily give that to them in a tactical sense, if that makes sense, right? Um, I've seen a lot of people say, hey, you need to make more money. But how do people make more money? I say I see a lot of people say, hey, you need to spend less. How do you spend less, right? So this is the how-tos of the solution. So once we've identified what the solution is, whether it's controlling overspending, uh, maybe it's selling off some stuff, maybe it's getting rid of some assets, maybe it's stop supporting bad habits or you know we can't support children in the way we want or charities or whatever it might be, I, I'm not sure. But how do then we make that into something that's actionable? How do we take that and make it into individual steps, into a plan, into a process that we can actually uh, go after? So for example, uh, one of the big ones, and this is what I talk about a lot and you know, hit the speaking circuit on, is there are um, a lot of resources on how to do a side hustle. And I think most of them stink. Because if you just Google how to do a side hustle, there are a lot of articles out there, blog posts that say, hey, uh, do online surveys. Um, two, walk dogs. Three, you know, uh, take your hobby and turn it into a business, right? And, and that's all too high level, I think, for most people. If your suggestion is to take surveys online for money, then what I would put is, here is a company where you can take it. Here's how much you will make. Here's what you'll have to do. Here's how you uh, create an account. This is what the surveys will look like. You know, um, this is when you have to do them and, you know, uh, the total time, total income, all that kind of stuff, right? What people want are the how-tos. They want the specifics because I don't think most people disagree with those generalizations, those kind of guidelines, the financial rules we have out there. But what they want is how do I do it, right? Uh, you know, it's it's kind of like the old infomercials. I don't know if you're a child of the 80s and 90s. If you stayed up late and watched TV, there were a lot of guys that are like, listen, I make a million dollars a year and I'm going to show you how. But uh, all they do is sell you the sizzle and you're sold on it, right? You're like, this guy makes millions of dollars. He's a real estate investor. He's huge. He's got his own boat plane, whatever it is. But they don't tell you how because that's what they sell. And that's where the value is, right? That's why you'll pay $2,000 to go to the three-day course at the Hyatt or whatever it might be. And so that's really what people want. And we have that opportunity to help them break it down. Sometimes we will have the answer. Sometimes they will know what the answer is. Sometimes we'll have to collaborate on it. Sometimes you'll have to refer out or bring in another resource, whatever it might be. But those how-tos, I'm spending a lot of time on this one because those how-tos are really where rubber meets the road and people see real value. Even though we think, hey, this is a little too tactical. It's a little too much detail. You know, I, I feel like I'm just getting into the weeds here a little bit. Man, I tell you what, people feel the greatest value from being shown, right? It's like pulling away the curtain and showing you all the gears, right? The man behind the curtain, the, the, the Wizard of Oz, whatever it is, opening up the back of the watch, right? When you see that and things make sense to people, that's a that's a light bulb moment, a eureka moment. I know we talk about eureka sessions. This is a time when people really um, discover, when things really click for them. And so I don't want to undersell this, the how-tos, the tactics. And that's why I think it's really important for us to be practitioners of what we preach. If you want to tell people that they should make more money and do a side hustle, I'm not saying you have to go out like me and do all the side hustles and see which ones uh, are different and how much money you can make and all that. But I would say, do one, right? I would say, you know, even if you don't need the money, go online and pick up a babysitting job this week. Just do um, a three-hour or four-hour stint of babysitting while someone's going out, grabbing dinner and a show, and babysit their kids. And now you can say, "Listen, here's something. You know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't a lot. It wasn't a lot of money, but it wasn't hard work. It was fun being with these kids." I would say that you know the really young kids are the most work. You know, the older kids kind of do their own thing. Whatever it might be, you know, whatever it might be, 
right? And this is how you want to get paid. It was easy through Venmo, Venmo or PayPal, or, you know, they just paid me with Zelle or they pay with a, a check. You know, these are things that you have to keep in mind. I d deposited uh, um, via the app on my uh, bank account, whatever it might be, right? Now you're adding these details and those details uh, really have a lot of legs. They have a lot of weight with, with people. So be a practitioner when you absolutely can. All right, number four, how to force action on a solution. So, um, so now let's say we've gone into the details, we've gone into the tactics, so people know how to do it. Uh, one of the things, one of the gaps that's still often left is how do I get myself to do it? Now I know intellectually why we're gonna raise our income. Now I know intellectually how to get that side hustle. Um, I know the steps to go through it. I know how much money I'm gonna make. And yet there's this, usually this big chasm between knowing and taking action knowledge and action, right? And so what do we need to do to close that gap, get people to do something? And this is where I'm saying, how do we force the action on the solution? And sometimes just being an accountability partner for people, sometimes that'll work. You know, I don't know that it always works, but it's better than nothing. And sometimes it will work. And there are things like accountability groups, you can actually subscribe for a few bucks a month to those. Um, you know, they're kind of pseudo good. I mean, but they're better than nothing. Sometimes you can just put a um, something up on your vision board, a magnet on your uh, refrigerator that says do something today or take out the trash or walk one mile or whatever it is, right? But what do we need to do to get people to take the action? And this is really where the pure coaching comes in because coaching is mostly a behavioral change uh, discipline, right? So what do we need to do to help them get over the hurdles that are in their mind, get over the hump, get out of the inertia, the, the at-rest inertia, and take some action? And this is where it's probably going to be different for a lot of people. Maybe you can put an incentive out there, you know, the carrot. Maybe you can put the stick out there and, uh, you know, force them to do it. I've seen people write a check to an organization that they don't really believe in, but they know that $100 is gonna go somewhere if they don't do something. So sometimes the stick can be uh, as effective as the carrot or sometimes even more, maybe you can have both or whatever, right? Maybe you don't even need that. Maybe it's just a little bit about like, I'm gonna call you tomorrow and ask, you know, if you did this. Now, again, I am a little worried about being too hands-on as a coach, right? For me to own too much of the responsibility of the action and the process here. But sometimes you have to start that way. Sometimes you have to really take some baby steps and sometimes you have to uh, make it so that the barriers are as low as humanly possible and then start um, getting your participant, your client more invested in the process. So this is where it's going to uh, be important to customize it. And I'm going to talk in another video about why uh, we customize and we don't program as much in coaching, right? So we don't have as much um, formalized process, coursework, those types of things coaching. So check out my other video on that. That's coming soon. All right. So once we get that, once we figure out, hey, how did I get someone to do something? How did I get them to do it for themselves and start that process? Then hopefully taking the next step and rolling that forward is going to be easier and easier. And the fifth thing, the fifth type of session that I have is how do we internalize the process? So if you've been around the coaching sphere, you've probably heard of the self-efficacious behavior that we're supposed to instill. What does that mean? It's a big fancy word for saying, hey, teach a man to fish, right? Don't give a man a fish. Give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach a man a fish, feed him for a lifetime, right? Aren't we trying to enable them with the skills and the processes and the techniques and the problem identification and solution creation so that they can go out 
and then tackle the next thing on their own, right? So that they don't need a coach. I don't believe that people need coaches for their entire life. And, and part of my justification on that is most people in the world, even most people in the United States, and even most people that are maybe in the core demographic of people using coaches don't have coaches. You know, the majority of people out there do not have coaches. Now, some have coaches they don't even realize, a mentor or a friend or something like that. But most people don't have coaches and most people win at life, right? Um, Maybe not most, but a lot of people get to retirement just fine and and live uh, fulfilled and uh, have a great um, and have a great life and and live in balance and save money and do all the things that we want, right? And maybe they could do it better with coaching, but maybe coaching wouldn't have done anything. Maybe some people have enough willpower, right? So how do we get people to that stage? So I don't have to worry about what they're going to accomplish if I'm not around, right? How do we get them to internalize this whole process that I just talked about? Figure out the problem, figure out the solution, figure out the how twos of the solution, and then catalyze action on it, right? Those four things, those four sessions that we just went through as a coach, I want them to take those four sessions and rinse and repeat on their own. And if they can do that, I have been successful. The most successful coaches to me are the ones that are quickly getting themselves fired because their clients no longer need them. Now, if the clients really saw value in them, they'll probably continue to use them, even though the value may not be quite as high as it was in the beginning, at least the real value, but the perceived value over time might stay there. So you may continue to work with these people over time because it may need some tweaking, it may need a little reinforcement and some encouragement. But if you do your job right and they start winning at life and smashing it at life and doing well, right? Maybe they don't need that help. They've got their stuff on cruise control. They're so quick about identifying the solution uh, or identifying the problem, creating the solution, taking action and moving it along and getting these things done that you're overwhelmed. You're blown away. You have some update sessions and you're like, man, I'm impressed with how much you've accomplished. I'm impressed with how much you've accomplished regardless of the fact that you're balancing life, that you have a full-time job. I mean, I've had some of those. And that's why I also think, you know, this is a little bit of a tangent, that if you're not embracing the five movement, the financial independence movement, right? This this is all about kind of building on to people that now have succeeded. For me, my coaching practices really focus on people who are in the FI space, right? So I don't really help people with budget and debt problems nearly as much as I used to. In fact, I don't have anyone right now that I'm working on budget or debt or spending issues. I'm only working with people who are trying to figure out how to get the next step, take the next step up, right? Thinking about diversifying their income or multiple income streams and, and stuff like that, because that's really where I get fired up because that's also where I'm trying to live my own life too, successfully or unsuccessfully in some places, right? We But we learn, live and learn and, and all that stuff. So what I love is that now that I've taken some of my clients from years past and now gotten them out of the need to just take $20 and put that in the wallet and that's their spending money for the weekend. And that's fine. Those are great places to start. But what you want to see is progress. And for a lot of people, they're living that life. So they don't necessarily see the progress moment to moment, but you get to see it because you're not checking in with them every day. You're checking them with uh, every month. And some of my, in my cases, I'm only checking in with people once a year, right? And so I get to see these big steps that they're taking. And it's great. It's like I said, some of these people are really blowing my mind. Some of these people I have encouraged and are now financial coaches on their own because they found success, not because of the book smarts, not because of the high level, taking all these financial rules and, and applying them to their life, because the taking the rules, taking these generalities, applying to your life is gets very specific. You've got to customize that. You've got to figure out what works and what doesn't and embrace the stuff that you really are passionate about. And the people that are doing that, I think are really well poised to be able to pass that on to another generation. So the people that can internalize it, master it themselves, go through it, are the people that we want as financial coaches, but it's really what you want to do as a financial coach for your clients, because that's really the powerful stuff. You know, if you're, if you're, 
trying to continue the relationship as an annuity, a revenue um, stream for you, right? That's great, but that's not the purpose of what we're trying to do. The purpose um, of coaching is to get people to be uh, self-sustaining, right? To make them independent so that they don't need you. But if they do reach out to people like us, uh, they get even more juice, more power on it. So that's what we're trying to do. Sessions are usually one of five. Figuring out the problem, figuring out the solution, figuring out the details or the how-tos or the tactics of the solution, figuring out how to take action or force action on the solution, and then five, how to internalize the process. Hopefully that helps, um, you know, but that's what I found that, you know, my sessions always fall into one of these five at, at, uh, at some point. So um, looking forward to hearing more from you. I'm Pete. I'll talk to you next time.